then all you need to do is make sure that you stay close to that saviour, to that shepherd, to make sure that you're going to stay on the righteous path. Verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's actually a little bit of a, a grim picture, isn't it? Walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> Here, David's speaking of, you know, trials and tribulations in life. But he, pro- he probably did actually walk through some valleys of the shadow of death because he at one stage in his life was um, being tracked down and um, sought to be killed by Saul's men. So there was probably, you know, he probably wasn't just being dramatic in this. Um, he probably did walk through valleys of shadow of death. But to us, it's like it's the trials and tribulations in life. In this life, we're not promised that there won't be tribulations, that there won't be evil, but we are promised that our mighty shepherd is with us and that we don't need to fear that evil. It's actually in the valleys of life that our relationship with the Lord can strengthen and become more personal. You'll notice here in this passage that the tense changes in which David's speaking. So up until now, he's saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me, he guides me. He, so he's using the, the pronoun he, but as when it comes to this um, verse 4, it says, I will not fear evil for you are with me. So all of a sudden the tense changes. And to me, that's like when you walk through a tough time, a trial, a tribulation, man, you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus to get through that time. It's not just he, the Lord, God, but it has to be my God, my Savior. You are with me, God. If you are with me, then I can get through this. So if you are going through a valley of a shadow of death, come on, let that, don't let it distance you from God, but let it draw you near to him. There's a beautiful song on the new Elevation Worship album called Hold On To Me. And I want to read it to you this morning because it's in those times where sometimes seem like the darkest moments in life that God will hold on to you. And that if you can hold on to your saviour, that's sometimes the only thing that will get you through those moments. So the, the song's called Hold On To Me. And the lyrics are, hold on to me, I am weak without you. I can't breathe without you, but I can make it through if you hold on to me. When my life is broken, still your arms are open. Your love can make me new. You're my everything. I run into your name, Jesus, Jesus. I know my world is safe forever in your name, Jesus, Jesus. My God is stronger. He won't let go of me. Christ, my Savior, faithful through eternity. Come on, let me encourage you this morning. If you're going through one of those tough times, a tribulation, a trial, a valley of the shadow of death, come on, hold on to Jesus. We're weak without him. He's our strength. He'll pick you up. He'll hold you close. If you'll just let him be your shepherd, let him be your savior, let him be the one that he restores your soul. The second part of that verse is, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And when a shepherd's out in the field, his, in his flock, he actually carries very little with him. Today's shepherds will carry a rifle and a staff and a small knapsack. But in the Middle East, the shepherd carried only a rod and a staff. So the rod was kind of like this slender club that the shepherd learns from childhood how to throw with amazing speed and accuracy. It becomes his main weapon of defense for himself and his sheep. 
he uses it to drive off predators like coyotes, wolves, cougars, and stray dogs. And in the brush, it's used to beat away snakes. But it's also used for discipline. So if a sheep wanders away or approaches poisonous weeds or gets too close to some danger, then the shepherd throws the rod to to pull it back from that um, danger or send it back to the flock. Whereas the staff, on the other hand, that's the big slender stick with a hook on the, the end of it. The shepherd uses that to guide the sheep along a new path or through a gate. He doesn't beat the sheep, he just nudges them along. And at times the staff might be used to get a sheep out of trouble or pull it from the water to free it from thorns. So Proverbs 3.12 says, For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. You know, I delight in Zara. Yeah, I love her so much sometimes that it actually hurts. (laughs) And... To discipline her is really hard, especially when she looks up at you with those big blue eyes and that cheeky little smile. And she's just started recently just grabbing my face and saying, Mummy, I love you. I love you, Mummy. And it's like your heart just melts. You can have anything. You can have whatever you want. (laughs) But if I, that's the easy road. You know, if I just let her have whatever she wants, she's just going to grow up a spoiled brat and not have any respect for authority and not... Um, have any healthy kind of boundaries. And so I discipline her because I love her, because I know that it's good for her, because I know that it's, gonna, um, it's going to um, give her wisdom in life. And so the same with, with, a, with God and us. You know, the Bible says that discipline brings wisdom, that we need to be teachable and moldable by God. You know, sometimes when he throws that club at you because you're getting too close to something that might be dangerous, you know, don't dodge it and don't get mad at the Lord, but take, we've got to have teachable spirits. You know, as pastors, sometimes it's interesting to see when you bring a little bit of correction or a little bit of um, discipline to see how people react or respond. If they get defensive and say, well, this is why and this is what blah, blah, blah. Or if they actually just receive and say, okay, I can, I can take that. I can grow. Um, you know, thanks for, that. thanks for the feedback. It's the same with the Lord. I think he tests us sometimes. I think he tests us with a little bit of discipline, a little bit of correction. Are you going to receive it? Or are you going to be so stubborn and stuck in your ways that you're not going to grow from this? It actually says in that verse that his rod and his staff comfort. So we need to find comfort in being trained by God. We need to find comfort in his protection, his discipline, and his guiding hand. In verse 5, is you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Dude, to me, this is quite a strange scene where it says that you, the Lord, prepares a table for me in, in the presence of my enemies. That would be kind of a, an interesting dinner party, don't you think? <laughs> God preparing this banquet in front of your enemies for you. But the meaning behind it actually is in the midst of times where you feel surrounded by enemies. And those enemies can be from within, whether it's limiting beliefs or fear or anxiety. They can also be from without, from you know, people who want to see you fail or people who are persecuting you. Um, but it's in the midst of that time that God actually puts on this spread of his, um, his protection. His, um, he feeds us, he protects us, and he loves us. Because when you think about a guest and being hospitable, um, that's what you do. You feed, you um, provide a place for them to come and to, to be, be at peace. And so when you think about that verse there, that in the midst of our enemies... 
that God provides us with food, with peace, with comfort, and with protection. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon adds this thought, Thou preparest a table just as a servant does when he unfolds the damask cloth and displays the ornaments of the feast on an ordinary peaceful occasion. Nothing is hurried. There is no confusion, no disturbance. The enemy is at the door, and yet God prepares a table. And the, the Christian sits down and eats as if everything were in perfect peace. Oh, the peace which Jehovah gives to his people, even in the midst of the most trying circumstances. You know, I can personally attribute to that, that there sometimes there have been moments where everything has been breaking loose and you just feel out of control and you just feel like the enemy is on your doorstep. But I know that in that moment, I can run into God's presence and I can be at total peace. Yeah, that's what our God gives us. And they, there was um, a time where I, before I had Zara, when I worked um, in the marketplace and, you know, my boss would just say to me, how are you, how do you just have such peace? You know, when do, I'd be sharing different things about what's going on or, um, you know, she'd be sharing different things. She's like, where, I don't understand, Sarah. <laughs> how, how, is, how are you able to have peace in that situation? I just say, you know, it's, it's not, it doesn't come from me, it's from the Lord because that's what he blesses us with peace in the midst of trial in the midst of tribulation our God gives us peace you anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over do you know that the actual origin of anointing was from a practice of shepherds so when we anoint people with oil that actually comes from Chris is nodding his his head (laughs) I'm assuming that's from New Zealand you know about sheep But it does, it actually comes from um, the practice of shepherding because when a sheep, sheeps would actually get lice and insects into the wool and when they got near the sheep's head, they could burrow into their ears and kill them. So ancient shepherds poured oil on the sheep's head, which made the wool slippery, making it impossible for insects to get near the sheep's ears because they would slide off. And from this, anointing became symbolic of blessing, protection and empowerment. So in Bible times, people were anointed with oil to signify God's blessing or call on that person's life. For example, a person was anointed for a special purpose, to be king, to be prophet, to be a builder. But it's important to note that the anointing in itself doesn't have any power. Like the oil, sorry, the anointing oil in itself doesn't have any power. It's not like a magic potion where you get sprinkled with oil and then all of a sudden you're released into your destiny. (laughs) But the oil is more a resemblance of what we do to show what God's actually doing. So when God anoints someone, then we um, show that as a symbol with the anointing oil. So after Christ left the earth, though, he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now all Christians are anointed and chosen for a specific purpose in furthering God's kingdom. How awesome is that? That you are anointed for a special purpose. God has chosen you. He has called you. He has destined you for a special purpose. And do you know how you find out what that is? Spend time with him. You know, look at what you love, what God's placed in you from even from birth, how you grew up, what, um, what gets you excited. You know, God's placed within you desires and different things that um, will help you to, to know what your, your destiny, where, you, where God's called you and where he's chosen you, where he's anointed you for. Be close to God. You know, David himself was anointed when he was a shepherd boy to be the next king, but his own father didn't even consider him as a candidate. 
You know, the prophet Samuel was told by God that the next king was going to come from Jesse's bloodline, which is David's father. And so he comes out to um, Jesse's house with all of his sons lined up. He goes through each of them and comes to the very last one. He said to Jesse, he's not here. He said, do you have any other sons? And Jesse said, well, there's David, but he's a shepherd boy. (laughs) He's just out looking, tending to the sheep. And Samuel said, well, bring him to me. And he comes and Samuel anoints him as the next king. So you know what? It doesn't matter how others see you or even sometimes how you see yourself. God sees the real you and he sees your potential and what he's created you for. You have a unique destiny and a unique calling that the Lord's anointed you for. So don't settle. Don't settle for anything else. My cup runs over. You know, there's a beautiful story of a lady called Annie Flint Johnson who was, um, grew up in the 1830s, I think, in, um, in Britain. And she was orphaned at a young age and then she was adopted and she was orphaned again. They, they, her adopted parents died, so she was orphaned twice. And then um, in her, I think, her 20s or 30s, she got arthritis and it actually, um, she did, deto- she, um, she came to a place where she actually couldn't walk. She had to be um, confined in a sanitarium. She had to have um, people kind of come in and look after her. And anyway, she had um, arthritis in her hand. And so she had this crippled hand. But you know what she did? She would write the most beautiful poems about God and about his love. And you would think that of anyone in the world... The woman that's been orphaned twice, has arthritis, can't even move properly, that she would have something against God in her heart, whether she'd be angry at him or, you know, not wanting to follow. But she has penned the most beautiful poetry about God's love. And it really, um, it really hit me because I was like, God, you have blessed me so much. And I, you know, the gratitude that I give to you compared to what she has written, I just think, God... You know, I have so much still to, to learn. But this is something that she wrote. It said, His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Our cup runs over. Our cup runs over. Verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, God's goodness and his mercy in this passage of Scripture will not just follow but actively pursue you. That actually more accurately represents the meaning of this word follow. In the Greek, the meaning is to search for eagerly, to track down, to hunt for someone. What an incredible thought there that God's goodness and mercy won't just follow you, but it's going to track you down. It's going to hunt you down. It's going to sniff you out. So if you're wandering off or, you know, if you're going down the wrong path, God doesn't just, um, God doesn't, doesn't just stand over and, and say, just come and follow me, but his goodness will track you down. It'll sniff you out because it, it's, it wants to overpower you. God's goodness and his mercy and his grace. Come on, let it overwhelm you. Yeah, this is just our temporal home for now, talking about I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But to dwell in in God's house forever speaks of living with God for all eternity. 
And if you allow the Lord to be your shepherd, he promises you eternal life with him. Revelation seven sixteen to 17, speaking of eternity, saying, They will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat for the lamb. In the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. So just as we close this morning, let me tell you what a shepherd does when he buys his sheep. He takes a large, sharp knife, and each shepherd has a distinctive earmark that he cuts into one of the ears of his sheep. In this way, even at a distance, he knows what his sheep look like. He knows that that's one of his sheep. It's not an easy thing to do for either the sheep or the shepherd, but from that mutual suffering, an indelible lifelong mark of ownership is made that can never be erased. For us, who have been bought by the shepherd's blood on Calvary, the mark that we bear, that God etches into us, is the cross. Jesus stated emphatically, If any man would be my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. When we receive Jesus, we receive the mark of the cross. It's etched into us. So every time God looks at us, he sees us through the lens of the cross. He sees that we're justified and we can live in friendship, companion with our good shepherd. You know, it's a sad fact, but I think a true one that many people who have never submitted their lives fully to God in obedience still trying to try to claim that the Lord is my shepherd. They seem to hope by merely admitting that he is their shepherd that they'll enjoy all the benefits of his care without ever being marked. The Lord is my shepherd. What a, a difference that little word my means. It's all the difference between joy and sorrow, between purposefulness and meaning, purpose, purposelessness and meaningless, sorry, purposefulness and meaningless, between eternal life and eternal death. You know, a famous actor once was a guest of honour at a social gathering where he received many requests to recite favourite excerpts from various literary works. An old preacher who happened to be there asked the actor to recite the 23rd Psalm. The actor agreed on the condition that the preacher would also recite it. The actor's recitation was beautifully intoned with great and dramatic emphasis from which he received lengthy applause. The preacher's voice was rough and broken from many years of preaching and his diction was anything but polished. But when he finished, there was not a dry eye in the room. When someone asked the actor what made the difference, he replied, I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. Do you know your shepherd? Do you really know him? Is he enough for you? Are you secure in him? Do you allow yourself to be led by him, restored by him, refreshed by him? Do you know his word? Do you follow his word? Are you walking in his righteousness? Is he your comforter? Is he your friend? Are you moldable and teachable in his hands? Are you walking in his calling for your life? Are you being sustained by his goodness and by his mercy? Come on, let's be like that four-year-old girl who said, the Lord is my shepherd, that's all I want. The Lord is my shepherd, that's all I want. Can we pray this morning? We stand to our feet. Thank you, Jesus. You are our good shepherd, Lord. You are all we want. Lord, you're enough for us. 
Lord, this morning we say you are enough for us, Jesus. You are enough, Lord. Lord, even if we lost everything tomorrow, you are still enough for us, Jesus. Father, we love you with all our hearts. Help us, God, to be led by your Spirit, Lord, to lie down in green pastures, to be refreshed by you, Jesus. Lord, help us, enable us, God, to carve out that time with you, Jesus, so we can not only be refreshed ourselves, but so that we can bless others, Father, so that we can refresh others, Lord. Father, open our eyes, Lord, to see you as our good shepherd, the one that loves unconditionally, that will bring some adjustment every now and then, that will make sure that we don't get hurt, that we don't go down the wrong path. Lord, allow us to be teachable and moldable, Father, by you. And Lord, even in those times of trial, Jesus, Lord, in those times, Father, where it, means, it may seem, Lord, like nothing can pull us through. Lord, you come, you pick us up, you hold us in your arms, you whisper, Lord, into our ears, our destiny. You whisper, Lord, what you've called us for. You whisper, God, Lord, our trueness in you, Jesus, how much you love us, Lord. Father, you are so gentle, you're so caring. Lord, we surrender and submit to you. And Lord, we are so happy to be marked by you. Lord, we're not going to hide Jesus. We won't let the devil, Father, tell us that we're naked. We won't let him uh, point out our weaknesses and our failings to try and keep us from you. But Lord, Father, this morning, God, we just ask for forgiveness for anywhere where we've fallen short, Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that we can have that sweet communion with you, Jesus. Lord, that intimate relationship with you. We can walk with you. We can talk with you, Lord, that you can speak destiny over us, Lord. You can tell us, Father, Lord, encourage us how much you love us, Lord. Be our shepherd, Jesus. Be my shepherd, Lord. Be my shepherd. We submit to you this morning. We surrender to you, God. Have your way, Jesus. Have your way, Jesus. Lord, don't let this just to be a word, Father. Lord, that we just hear with our ears this morning. But Lord, let it delve into our heart. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, right now, Father, you're just restoring connection, Lord. Even with those, Father, who have been disconnected from you, God. Lord, that you're restoring connection once again, Jesus. Lord, where the enemy would try to keep them from you, Lord. Try to, to um, show them, Father, Lord, where they can't come into your presence, Lord. Try to keep them, Father, Lord, from having that intimacy with you. Lord, this morning we break that off them, Jesus. And Lord, open their eyes, Father, to see their loving Savior with his arms open, lifting up their faces to tell them how much he loves them. Even as that prodigal son came home, the father with his open arms ready to embrace him. Come on this morning, don't be held back. Don't be held back. Run into your Savior's arms. Let him hold you. Let him restore you. Let him refresh you. Thank you, Father.